0: Good evening and welcome to Empathy Media Lab's Belief Street. My name is Evan Pap and I'll be exploring religious concepts through text and scripture, interviews and profiles, and documentaries and films. So why do I want to explore religious concepts even though I haven't been a practicing Catholic for over two decades? Well first, I'm appalled at the hypocrites who have hijacked Jesus' teachings to love our neighbor and treat people the way we want to be treated. And as an outsider looking into the internal politics of the Catholic Church, It appears to me that there is a civil war raging between a progressive Pope Francis and a very dangerous reactionary faction that sides with the hypocrites previously mentioned. Ultimately, the outcome of this battle will determine whether it is fear or love that organizes the Holy See. For this series of Belief Street, I'm reading Fratelli Tutti, which is Pope Francis's encyclical subtitled on Fraternity and Social Friendship. The encyclical calls for more human fraternity and solidarity and is a plea to reject wars. The document was signed on October 3rd, 2020 on the occasion of Pope Francis' visit to the tomb of his namesake, St. Francis of Assisi and was published the following day on the Saints' Feast Day. The Catholic church I went to growing up in Muskegon, Michigan was called St. Francis de Sales and is one of the strangest concrete structures I've ever seen. The Sunday experience in that brutalist architectural design made a lasting impression on me that I plan to discuss in coming episodes. Almost 20 years ago, I also had the pleasure of visiting the town of Assisi in Italy during a solo backpacking trip across Europe at the beginning of the US invasion of Iraq. After a day of exploration, I found a modest campsite at Fontamaggio Assisi, not far from the town center, ate a delicious pasta meal with some local red wine And I still remember that night, sleeping on the side of a mountain on a clear evening, looking up at the sky and thinking about the deeper questions of our life. So with an interest in getting to my roots, tonight I'll follow last week's reading with chapter three of Fratelli Tutti, Envisaging and Engendering an Open World. 87. Human beings are so made That they cannot live, develop, and find fulfillment fulfillment, except in the sincere gift of self to others, nor can they fully know themselves apart from an encounter with others. Let me start over because I'm reading it and uh, moving screens around. So human beings are so made that they cannot live, develop and find fulfillment, except in the sincere gift of self to others. Nor can they fully know themselves apart from an encounter with other persons. I communicate effectively with myself only insofar as I communicate with others. No one can experience the true beauty of life without relating to others, without having real faces to love. This is part of the mystery of authentic human experience. Life exists where there is bonding, communion, fraternity, and life is stronger than death when it is built on true relationships and bonds of fidelity. On the contrary, there is no life when we claim to be self-sufficient and live as islands. In these attitudes, death prevails. 88, moving beyond ourselves. In the depths of every heart, love creates bonds and expands existence for it draws people out of themselves and towards others. Since we are made for love in each of us, in each one of us, a law of ecstasis seems to operate. The lover goes outside the self to find a fuller existence in another. For this reason, man always has to take up the challenge of moving beyond himself. Nor can I reduce my life to relationships with a small group, even my own family. I cannot know myself apart from a broader network of relationships, including those that have preceded me and shaped my entire life. My relationship with those whom I respect has to take account for the fact that they do not live only for me, nor do I live only for them. Our relationships, if healthy and authentic, open us to others who expand and enrich us. Nowadays, our noblest social instincts can easily be thwarted by self-centered chats that give the impression of being deep relationships. 89, on the contrary, authentic and mature love and true friendship can only take root in hearts open to growth through relationships with others. As couples or friends, we find that our hearts expand as we step out of ourselves and embrace others. Closed groups and self-absorbed couples that define themselves in opposition to others tend to be expressions of selfishness and mere self-preservation. Ninety, significantly, many small communities living in desert areas developed a remarkable system of welcoming pilgrims as an exercise of the sacred duty of hospitality. The medieval monastic communities did likewise, as we see from the rule of St. Benedict. While acknowledging that it might detract from the disciple and silence of monasteries, Benedict nonetheless insisted that the poor and pilgrims be treated with the utmost care and attention. Hospitality was one specific way of rising to the challenge and the gift present in an encounter with those outside one's own circle. The monks realized that the values they sought to cultivate had to be accompanied by readiness to move themselves in openness to others. The unique value of love, 91. People can develop certain habits that might appear as moral values fortitude, sobriety, hard work, and similar virtues. Yet, if the acts of the various moral virtues are to be highly, rightly directed, one needs to take into account the extent to which they foster openness and union with others. That is made possible by the charity that God infuses. Without charity, we may perhaps possess only apparent virtues, incapable of sustaining life in common. Thus, St. Thomas Aquinas could say, quoting St. Augustine, that the temperance of a greedy person is in no way virtuous. St. Bonaventure, for his part, explained that the other virtues without charity, strictly speaking, do not fulfill the commandments the way God wants them to be fulfilled. 92. 92. The spiritual stature of a person's life is measured by love, which in the end remains the criterion for the definitive decision about a human life's worth or lack thereof. Yet some believers think that it consists in the imposition of their own ideologies upon everyone else, or in a violent defense of the truth, or an impressive demonstration of strength. All of us as believers need to recognize that love takes first place. Love must never be put at risk, And the greatest danger lies in failing to love. 93. St. Thomas Aquinas sought to describe the love made possible by God's grace as a movement outwards towards another, whereby we consider the beloved as somehow united to ourselves. Our affection for others makes us freely desire to seek their good. All this originates in a sense of esteem and appreciation of the value of the other. This is ultimately the idea behind the word charity. Those who are loved are dear to me. They are considered of great value. And the love whereby someone becomes pleasing to another is the reason why the latter bestows something on him freely. Love then is more than just a series of benevolent actions. Those actions have their source in a union increasingly directed towards others, considering them of value, worthy pleasing and beautiful apart from their physical or moral appearances our love for others for who they are moves us to seek the best for their lives only by cultivating this way of relating to one another will we make possible a social friendship that excludes no one and a fraternity that is open to all love evermore open 95. love also impels us towards universal communion No one can mature or find fulfillment by withdrawing from others. By its very nature, love calls for growth and openness and the ability to accept others as part of a continuing adventure that makes every periphery converge in a greater sense of mutual belonging. As Jesus told us, you are all brothers. 96, this needs to transcend our own limitations. Also applies to different regions and countries, indeed. The ever increasing number of interconnections and communications in today's world makes us, powerfully aware of the unit, makes us powerfully aware of the unity and common destiny of the nations. In the dynamics of history and in the diversity of ethnic groups, societies and cultures, we see the seeds of a vocation to form a community composed of brothers and sisters who accept and care for one another. Open societies that integrate everyone, 97. Every brother or sister in need, when abandoned or ignored by the society in which I live, becomes an existential foreigner, even though born in the same country. They may be citizens with full rights, yet they are treated like foreigners in their own country. Racism is a virus that quickly mutates and instead of disappearing, goes into hiding and lurks in waiting. Every brother or sister in need, when abandoned or ignored by the society in which I live, becomes an existential foreigner, even though born in the same country. Not repeat that, 98. I would like to mention some of those hidden exiles who are treated as foreign bodies in society. Many persons with disabilities feel that they exist without belonging and without participating. Much still prevents them from being fully enfranchised. Our concern should be not only to care for them but to ensure that their active participation in the civil and ecclesial community. This is a demanding and even tiring process yet one that will gradually contribute to the formation of consciences capable of acknowledging each individual as a unique and unrepeatable person. I think too of the elderly who also due to their disability are sometimes considered a burden Yet each of them is able to offer a unique contribution to the common good through their remarkable life stories. Let me repeat, we need to have the courage to give a voice to those who are discriminated against due to their disability because sadly in some countries even today people find it hard to acknowledge them as persons of equal dignity. Inadequate understandings of universal love 99 Love capable of transcending borders is the basis of what in every city and country can be called social friendship. Genuine social friendship within a society makes true universal openness possible. This is a far cry from the false universalism of those who constantly travel abroad because they cannot tolerate or love their own people. Those who look down on their own people tend to create within society categories of first and second class, people of greater or lesser dignity. People enjoying greater or fewer rights in this way. They deny that there is room for everyone. 100. I'm certainly not proposing an authoritarian and abstract universalism devised or planned by a small group and presented as an ideal for the sake of leveling, dominating, and plundering. One model of globali- globalization, in fact, consciously aims at a one-dimensional uniformity and seeks to eliminate all differences and traditions in a superficial quest for unity. If a certain kind of globalization claims to make everyone uniform, to level everyone out, that globalization destroys the rich gifts and uniqueness of each person and each people. This false universalism ends up depriving the world of its various colors, its beauty, and ultimately its humanity. For the future is not monochrome. If we are courageous, we can contemplate it in all the variety and diversity of what each individual person has to offer. How much our human family needs to learn to live together in harmony and peace without all of us having to be the same. Beyond a World of Associates, 101. Let us now return to the parable of the Good Samaritan for it still has much to say to us. An injured man lay on the roadside. The people walking by him did not heed their interior summons to act as neighbors. They were concerned with their duties, their social status, their professional position within society. They considered themselves important for the society of the time and were anxious to play their proper part. The man on the roadside, bruised and abandoned, was a distraction, an interruption from all that. In any event, he was hardly important. He was a nobody, undistinguished, irrelevant to their plans for the future. Good Samaritan transcended these narrow classifications. He himself did not fit into any of those categories. He was simply a foreigner without a place in society. Free of every label and position, he was able to interrupt his journey changes plans, and unexpectedly come to the aid of an injured person who needed his help. 102, what would be the reaction of that same story nowadays in a world that constantly witnesses the emergence and growth of social groups clinging to an identity that separates them from others? How would it affect those who organize themselves in a way that prevents any foreign presence that might threaten their identity and their clothes Closed and self referential structures. There, even the possibility of acting as a neighbor is excluded. One is a neighbor only to those who serve their purpose. The word neighbor loses all meaning. There can only be associates partners in the pursuit in the pursuit of particular interests. Liberty, equality, and fraternity, 103. Fraternity is born not only of a climate of respect for individual liberties, or even of a certain administratively guaranteed equality. Fraternity necessarily calls for something greater, which in turn enhances freedom and equality. What happens when fraternity is not consciously cultivated, when there's a lack of political will to promote it through education and fraternity, through dialogue and through the recognition of the values of reciprocity and mutual enrichment. Liberty becomes nothing more than a condition for living as we will, completely free to choose to whom or what we will belong or simply to possess or exploit. This shallow understanding has little to do with the richness of liberty directed above all to love. 104. Nor is equality achieved by an abstract, abstract proclamation that all men and women are equal. Instead is the result of the conscious and careful cultivation of fraternity. Those capable only of being associates create closed worlds. Within that framework, what place is there for those who are not part of one's group of associates, yet long for a better life for themselves and their families? 105. Individualism does not make us more free, more equal, more fraternal. The mere sum of individual interests is not capable of generating a better world for the whole human family, nor can it save us from the many ills that are now increasingly globalized. Radical individualism is a virus that is extremely difficult to eliminate, for it is clever. It makes us believe that everything consists in giving free rein to our own ambitions, as if by pursuing ever greater ambitions, creating safety nets we would somehow be serving the common good. A universal love that promotes persons, 106. Social friendship and universal fraternity necessarily call for an acknowledgement of the worth of every human person, always and everywhere. If each individual is of such great worth, it it must be stated clearly and firmly that The mere fact that some people are born in places with fewer resources or less development does not justify the fact that they are living with less dignity. This is a basic principle of social life that tends to be ignored in a variety of ways by those who sense that it does not fit into their worldview or serve their purposes. Every human being has the right to live and live with every human being has a right to live with dignity and to develop integrally. This fundamental right cannot be denied by any country. People have the right even if they are unproductive or were born with or developed limitations. This does not detract from their great dignity as human persons, a dignity based not on circumstances, but on the intrinsic worth of their being. Unless this basic principle is upheld, There will be no future, either for fraternity or the survival of humanity. Some societies accept this principle in part. They agree that opportunities should be available to everyone, but then go on to say that everything depends on the individual. From this skewed perspective, it would be pointless to favor an investment in efforts to help the slow the weak, or the less talented to find opportunities in life. Investments in assistance to the vulnerable could prove unprofitable. They might make things less efficient. No. What we need, in fact, are states and civil institutions that are present and active, that look beyond the free and efficient working of certain economic, political, or ideological systems, and are primarily concerned with individuals and the common good. Some people are born into economically stable families, receive a fine education, grow up well-nourished, or naturally possess great talent. They will certainly not need a proactive state. They need only claim their freedom. Yet the same rule clearly does not apply to a disabled person, to someone born in dire poverty, to those lacking a good education and with little access to adequate health care. If a society is governed primarily by the criteria of market freedom and efficiency, there's no place for such persons and fraternity will remain just another vague ideal. Indeed, to claim economic freedom while real conditions bar many people from actual access to it, and while possibilities for unemployment continue to shrink is to pre- practice doublespeak. Words like freedom, democracy, or fraternity prove meaningless. For the fact is that only when our economic and social system no longer produces even a single victim, a single person cast aside, will we be able to celebrate the feast of universal fraternity? A truly human and fraternal society will be capable of ensuring in an efficient and stable way that each of its members is accompanied at every stage of life, not only by providing for their basic needs, but by enabling them to give the best of themselves even though their performance may be less than optimum, their pace slow or their efficiency limited. The human person with his or her inalienable rights is by nature open to relationship, Implanted deep within us to call to transcend ourselves through an encounter with others. For this reason, care must be taken not to fall into certain errors, which can arise from a misunderstanding of the concept of human rights and from its misuse. Today, there's a tendency to claim ever broader individual. I am tempted to say individualistic rights. Underlying this is a conception of the human person as detached from all social and anthropological contexts as if the person were a monad, increasingly unconcerned with others. Unless the rights of each individual are harmoniously ordered to the greater good, those rights will end up being considered limitless and consequently will become a source of conflicts and violence. Promoting the moral good, 112. Nor can we fail to mention that seeking and pursuing the good of others and of the entire human family also implies helping individuals and societies to mature in the moral values that foster integral human development. The New Testament describes one fruit of the Holy Spirit as a gothy scene. The Greek word expresses attachment to the good, pursuit of the good. Even more, it suggests a striving for excellence, and what is best for others, the growth in maturity, maturity, and health, cultivation of values, and not simply material well-being. A similar expression exists in Latin. Benevolentia. This is an attitude that wills the good of others. It bespeaks a yearning for goodness and inclination towards all that is fine and excellent, a desire to fill the lives of others with what is beautiful, sublime, and edifying. Here, regrettably, I feel bound to reiterate that we've had enough of immorality and the mockery of ethics, goodness, faith, and honesty. It's time to acknowledge that lighthearted superficiality has done us no good. Once the foundations of social life are corroded, what insu- what ensues are battles over conflicting interests the value of solidarity 114 i would like especially to mention solidarity which as a moral virtue and social attitude born of personal com- conversion calls for a commitment on the part of those responsible for education and formation i think first of families called to a primary and vital mission of education Families are the first place where the values of love and fraternity, togetherness and sharing, concern and care for others are lived out and handed on. They're also the privileged milieu for transmitting the faith, beginning with those first simple gestures of devotion, which mothers teach their children. Teachers who have the challenging task of training children and youth in schools or other settings should be conscious that their responsibility extends also to the moral, spiritual, and social aspects of life. The values of freedom, mutual respect and solidarity can be handed on from a tender age. Communicators also also have a responsibility for education and formation, especially nowadays. The means of information and communication are so widespread, 115. At a time when everything seems to disintegrate and lose consistency, It is good for us to appeal to the solidity born of the consciousness that we are responsible for the fragility of others as we strive to build a common future. Solidarity finds concrete expression in service, which can take a variety of forms in an effort to care for others. And service in great part means caring for vulnerability for the vulnerable members of our families, our society, our people. In offering such service, individuals learn to set aside their own wishes and desires, the pursuit of power beyond before the concrete gaze of those who are most vulnerable. Service always looks to their faces, touches their flesh and senses, touches their flesh, senses their closeness, and even in some cases, suffers that closeness and tries to help them. Service is never ideological, for we do not serve ideas, we serve people. 116 the needy generally practice the special solidarity that exists among among those who are poor and suffering and which our civilization seems to have forgotten or would prefer in fact to forget solidarity is a word that is not always well received in certain situations is become a dirty word a word that dare not to be said Solidarity means much more than engaging in sporadic acts of generosity. It means thinking and acting in terms of community. It means that the lives of all are prior to the appropriation of goods by a few. It also means combating the structural causes of poverty, inequality, the lack of work, land and housing, the denial of social and labor rights. It means confronting the destructive effects of the empire of money. Solidarity understood in its most profound meaning is a way of making history. And this is what popular movements are doing. 117, when we speak of the need to care for our common home, our planet, we appeal to that spark of universal consciousness and mutual concern that may still be present in people's hearts. Those who enjoy a surplus of water, yet choose to conserve it for the sake of the greater human family have attained a moral statue stature that allows them to look beyond themselves and the group to which they belong. (coughs) How marvelously human. The same attitude is demanded if we are to recognize the rights of all people, even those born beyond our own borders. Reenvisaging the social role of property. 118, the world exists for everyone because all of us were born with the same dignity. Differences of color, religion, talent, place of birth or residence, and so many others cannot be used to justify the privileges of some over the rights of all. As a community, we have an obligation to ensure that every person lives with dignity and has sufficient opportunities for his or her integral development. In the first Christian centuries, a number of thinkers developed a universal vision and the reflections on the common destination of created goods. This led them to realize that if one person lacks what is necessary to live with dignity, it's because another person is detaining it. St. John Chrysostom Tong summarizes it, summarizes it in this way. Not to share our wealth with the poor is to rob them and take away their livelihood. The riches we possess are not our own, but theirs as well. In the words of St. Gregory the Great, when we provide the needy with their basic needs, we are giving them what belongs to them, not to us. Once more, I would like to echo a statement of St. John Paul II whose forcefulness has perhaps been insufficiently recognized. God gave the earth to the whole human race for the sustenance of all members without excluding or favoring anyone. For my part, I would observe that the Christian tradition has never recognized the right to private property as absolute or inviolable, and stressed the social purpose of all forms of private property. The principle of the common use of created goods is the first principle of the whole ethical and social order. It is a natural and inherent right that takes priority over others all other rights having to do with the goods necessary for the integral fulfillment of persons including that of private property or any other type of property should in the words of Saint Paul VI in no way hinder this right but should actively facilitate its implementation 121 the right to private property can only be considered a secondary natural right derived from the principle of the universal destination of created goods this has concrete consequences that ought to be reflected in the workings of society. It is often happens that secondary rights displace primary and overriding rights in practice, making them irrelevant. Rights without borders. No one then can remain excluded because of his or her place of birth, much less because of privileges enjoyed by others who were born in lands of greater opportunity. The limits and borders of individual states cannot stand in the way of this, as it is unacceptable that some have fewer rights by virtue of being women is likewise unacceptable that the mere place of one's birth or residence should result in his or her possessing fewer opportunities for a developed and dignified life. Development must not aim at the amassing of wealth by a few, but must ensure human rights, personal and social, economic and political, including the rights of nations and of peoples. The right of some to free enterprise or market freedom cannot supersede the rights of peoples and the dignity of the poor, or for that matter, respect for the natural environment. For if we make something our own is only to administer it for the good of all. Business activity is essentially a noble vocation directed to producing wealth and improving our world. God encourages us to develop the talents he gave us, and he has made our universe one of immense potential. In God's plan, each individual is called to promote his or her own development. And this includes finding the best economic and technological means of multiplying goods and increasing wealth. Business abilities, which are a gift from God, should always be clearly directed to the development of others and to eliminating poverty especially through the creation of diversified work opportunities. The right to private property is always occupied, the right to private property is always accompanied by the primary and prior principle of the subordination of all private property to the universal destination of the earth's goods, and thus the right of all to their use. (coughs) The rights of peoples 124. Nowadays, a firm belief in the common destination of the earth's goods requires that this principle also be applied to nations, their territories, and their resources. Seen from the standpoint, not only of the legitimacy of private property and the rights of its citizens, but also of the first principle, the common destination of goods. We can then say that each country also belongs to the foreigner, inasmuch as a territory's goods must not be denied to a needy person coming from elsewhere. As the bishops of the United States have taught, there are fundamental rights that precede any society because they flow from the dignity granted to each person as created by God. 125, this presupposes a different way of understanding relations and exchanges between countries. If every human being possesses an inalienable dignity, if all people are my brothers and sisters, and if the world truly belongs to everyone, then it matters little whether my neighbor was born in my country or elsewhere. My own country also shares responsibility for his or her development, although it can fulfill that responsibility in a variety of ways. It Can offer a generous welcome to those in urgent need or work to improve living conditions in their native lands by refusing to exploit those countries, to drain them of natural resources, backing corrupt systems that hinder the dignified development of their peoples. What applies to nations is true also for different regions within each country, since there too great inequalities often exist. At times the inability to recognize equal human dignity leads the more developed regions in some countries to think that they can jettison the dead weight of poor regions and so increase their level of consumption. We are really speaking about a new network of international relations, since there is no way to resolve the serious problems of the world, of our world, if we continue to think only in terms of mutual assistance between individuals or small groups. Nor should we forget that iniquity affects not only individuals, but entire countries. It compels us to consider an ethics of international relations. Indeed, Justice requires recognizing and respecting not only the rights of individuals, but also social rights and the rights of peoples. This means finding a way to ensure the fundamental right of peoples to subsistence and progress, a right which is at times severely restricted by the pressure created by foreign debt. In many instances, debt repayment not only fails to promote development, but gravely limits and conditions it. While respecting the principle that all legitimate acquired debt must be repaid, the way in which many poor countries fulfill this obligation should not end up compromising the very existence and growth. Certainly all this calls for an alternative way of thinking. Without an attempt to enter into that way of thinking, what I am saying here will sound wildly unrealistic. On the other hand, if we accept the great principle that there are rights born of our inalienable human dignity we can rise to the challenge of envisaging a new humanity. We can aspire to a world that provides land, housing, and work for all. This is the true path of peace, not the senseless and myopic strategy of sowing fear and mistrust in the face of outside threats. For a real and lasting peace will only be possible on the basis of a global ethic of solidarity and cooperation in the service of a future shaped by interdependence and shared responsibility in the human family.